In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. There's a memory very distinct in my mind of being probably about an eight-year-old boy sitting in my grandparents' extra bedroom trying to get the TV working. Color TV feels new in this home, although it would probably been out for, you know, a couple dozen years. And I, I finally get the TV, get the, the cable plugged in just right. I have uninterrupted time. I find TBS, and they have some movie on. This is before you could do Netflix, before you could choose whatever you wanted to watch, so you just have to watch whatever's on TV. And there's a movie that I remember very distinctly. I don't know which movie that is for you. Maybe you have a movie like that from your childhood, where it's not one that necessarily your parents had the VHS tape to or the DVD to, but it's one that you can remember watching on TV. There's a movie that is so clear in my mind, and it's by the name King Ralph. Has anybody seen this movie? Okay, there's a few, uh, a few fellow 80s kids, you know, uh, that, that have seen this movie. And in King Ralph, here's ba- basically the plot. Uh, the whole British family is collected together, say on a stage like this, to take a photo. And so they have all the photography equipment plugged in, the, the uh, flashes all plugged in, everything is, is very uh, analog these days. And the photographer snaps a photo, the flash goes off, but there's a short in the wire, and the f- ground where they are standing is full of water, and every member of the British royal family dies. That's how the movie starts. And then they have to find who is the heir to the British throne. And it turns out the heir to the British throne is a man named Ralph, who had just been fired from his job of being a lounge singer in Las Vegas. He's played by John Goodman, and he's just rude and obnoxious and everything that the British family is not. And so they, they go and find him and fly him back to England, and now they have to teach this man to act like royalty. But he's like belching and doing all the things that a royal person would never do. Friends, this is much like our adoption into the family of God. When God saves you and me, it's not like we know what we're doing. He saves us from this place where we are going our own way, living our own version of truth. And then it takes a little while before we learn the ways of the gospel, the ways of flourishing, the ways that God has called us to live because we've been adopted into this new family. And now now when Ralph got brought into the royal family as the sole heir to the throne, one of the first things he does is like go to Burger King because he doesn't know any different. That's kind of how we are. But one of the most important things for him in this situation that changes his life is the fact that he now has an inheritance, quite the inheritance. He's received it. And now he's learning how to live in it. 
That story has been told so many different times. There's so many different movies. I could have used the, the Adam Sandler movie, Mr. Deeds, where Adam Sandler plays the same character he plays in every movie that receives $40 billion. It's been told so many times, but it's a story that is interesting and good and a story that all of us are a part of. If you are in Christ today, you have received an inheritance that far surpasses your wildest imaginations. And you have no idea how to live up to that inheritance. You have no idea how your life has changed and will continue to change. We've been going through this, we've been going through this one sentence in the book of Ephesians. Today we're talking about what it means to have an inheritance, which is, uh, this is, this is kind of week three of the same sentence in Ephesians. We've been going uh, through Ephesians 3 through 14, which is just one long sentence. And the sentence starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you can think about this sermon as spiritual blessings part three. These are our spiritual blessings part three. And now the emphasis here, even though he does it with very little organization as he goes through here, Paul, you know, he's just going off the top of his head, like Jay-Z in the studio. He's just like, off the top, let's go. And that's it. There's no organization here, but it's flowing. And he's doing a really good job getting his point across all the way through here. And now he's gotten to this section where he talks about our inheritance in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And the main idea for this week is that in Christ you've received an inheritance that far surpasses your wildest imaginations. So we just have two simple points as we look at our passage. And the first point is, I bet you can guess it at this point, as we've been doing the spiritual blessings, part one, part two, point, part three, it's been very similar outlines all the way through. What is our inheritance and how do we get it? What is our inheritance and how do we get it? So part one, what is our inheritance? Verse 11, look at it with me just for a moment. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So Paul's really clear. We've obtained this inheritance. Now here's the confusing part of this chapter and of this little passage. Because as you continue to read on, he leaves out a very important detail. He doesn't tell us what the inheritance is. He says we have an inheritance. He says the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance. We, he says that how we got the inheritance, but he doesn't tell us what the inheritance is. And that seems like a really important thing to be clear about. Because if I had an uncle who died, and I get a phone call from a lawyer saying, hi, your uncle so-and-so died, he left you an inheritance, but there's a few strings attached. Let's meet up. Now, my number one question would be what? What's the inheritance, right? Because if my uncle left me his 92 Toyota Corolla that he's kept in the garage for 10 years, I'm not jumping through any hoops for that. It would be harder to sell than it would be to, to take advantage of. But if my uncle left me, say, his uh, stock in Apple that he purchased in the 1980s, well, I might be willing to take a few steps. I'll call you back, lawyer. You know, we can have a meeting. Sounds good. And so with Christianity, it's all about this inheritance. 
what the inheritance is, it matters. Because here's the thing, Christianity comes with a few hoops to jump through. If you look at Jesus, when people come to Jesus, he had no problem telling them the hard path of being a Christian and letting them walk away. Isn't that challenging? That is not what I want to do with my friends. I don't want to like explain the hard path of Christianity and, and then just let them walk away. I want to make it easier and easier, but Jesus does not make it easier. What Jesus does is he has people come to him and they say, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you've done a lot. You're a really moral person. Why don't you sell everything you own and give it to the poor? And when they refuse to hear him, they walk away. And he just lets them go. Jesus says that we have to take up our crosses, take up our method of execution and follow after him. He's told us that it may mean that we, for, that we are willing to forsake our own families to follow after him, that he's going to divide families at times, that he even calls us to be constantly dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires for the sake of him. That's a high calling. But I have good news for you. The inheritance is worth it. The inheritance is far higher than any of this calling. And we're always going to fall short of the calling, but the inheritance still remains. So what is the inheritance? That's a really important question. And one thing that you had to do to get that inheritance, you see, Paul kind of assumed it of his readers because he's writing to a church. He's writing to people who kind of know. They already know. They've received the gospel. They know what the inheritance is. But it's important for us to keep our eyes on it so that we don't forget what we're living for. And so you have to look throughout all the scripture to understand the true nature of what this inheritance really is. So like Mufasa did with Simba. Let me walk you to the edge of Pride Rock and let you look out at the kingdom and let me tell you what all is going to be yours one day. What all you're going to be inheriting. Because it is glorious. And it surpasses your wildest imaginations. Our inheritance is nothing less than this church. Fellowship with God Himself the richest fellowship imaginable. Acceptance. Full acceptance by the most powerful being who created the universe. And joy everlasting. I think when Christians think about our inheritance, oftentimes what we think about is heaven, right? That heaven is our inheritance. But it's not just heaven. Because when we think about heaven, what do we think about? We think about Usually two things. We think about being reunited with loved ones, which will be splendid. But I get tired of my loved ones in the here and now, so I'm definitely going to get tired of them throughout eternity. And we think about creature comforts, material things that might bring us joy. Again, if, if that's all that heaven is, I'm going to get bored. But heaven is far more than that. The Scripture describes heaven as relationship in full with the Father. And here's an important aspect of it. Just being in heaven is not our full inheritance. Because the angels are also in heaven. 
But there's something that we get to enjoy in heaven that the angels don't get to enjoy. I love this aspect, this thing that the scriptures teach us. If you look in the book of 1 Peter, Peter is describing to us what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have a relationship with the Father. And this is what he says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. The things that have now been announced to you, this is the, the good news. The prophets have prophesied, searching and inquiring carefully who and what the Holy Spirit was indicating when he indicated the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but serving you. And the things that have now been announced to you by the Holy Spirit, by those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this is what he says, that this good news that was announced to you that you've received through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, he says, the angels even long to look at these things. That language in the Greek, the angels long to look at these things, it's, it's almost like the same verbs for, for they're standing on tippy toes looking over the fence trying to get a, a glimpse at what we were experiencing with the joy that we have with God. You see, the angels live in heaven currently, yet they long for our inheritance. They long to see it, to enjoy it. Heaven is not solely our inheritance. God offers us more than that. The thing that God offers us as an inheritance is to enjoy God himself throughout all eternity. Michael Reeves, in this book that I I have a couple copies of over here, uh, Delighting in the Trinity, Um, this is what he has to say. I think that this is so well put. He says, the Christian life is about so much more than getting heaven. The Christian life is about so much more than getting heaven. Isn't that what we sell it on so often? But it's about so much more than getting heaven. The Holy Spirit is about drawing us into divine life. The Father has eternally delighted in the Son through the Spirit. And the Son and the Father, the Spirit's work in giving us new life then is nothing less than bringing us to share in the mutual delight of the Trinity. If you try to wrap your mind around that, it will break. That is just a glorious truth. That our inheritance is the joy of getting to share in the riches of the delight of the Trinity. God is our inheritance church, our relationship with Him. This is why the angels are longing to see what we have. You see, in heaven, the angels fly around the throne of God. We have several descriptions of that. Isaiah 6, Revelation 5, angels flying around singing songs to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. But what does Revelation teach us? Where are we in this? Revelation 3 Revelation 3, verse 21. While the angels are flying around the throne, this is what God says to us. The one, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So that's the promise of Jesus. Not that we merely get to get into heaven, but that we were embraced into deep relationship. You know, sometimes we think that we might get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. That's a southern colloquialism. It means barely. We think that we just barely get into heaven. But what Jesus is saying is that if you get to go into heaven, if you trust the gospel, 
trust Jesus, you don't just merely get to go into heaven. You get to sit with him on his throne as a father would sit with his, as a child would sit with his father in his special chair. You get to be embraced in that kind of way, embraced into divine life in that kind of way. The focus of Christianity, my friends, has to be on this. We, we get off focus far too often, but this is the focus of, of Christianity. This is what Paul, why he's bringing it up so close. So often we make our Christianity about being moral, doing the right thing, having high morals. So often we make our Christianity about political purposes. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is that we get relationship with God. And that's not just something for the future, but this is an inheritance that we get to taste right now. You might think of Christianity as being all pie in the sky, but it's a pie that we get a piece of today. And so we get to enjoy it. We get to enjoy it today. This inheritance that changes the way that we think about our future and our present. I've used this illustration before and I didn't come up with it. Uh, but it's a very good illustration to help us understand this. I want you to imagine that you joined an experiment that placed you in a room for 10 days where you had to do a menial task for 12 hours each day. Let's say that menial task is stuffing envelopes. I had that job when I was in college. I stuffed envelopes during my work study. Um, it was terrible. And unless you're Jerry from Parks and Rec, you're going to see this as torture. But let's say your, your friend volunteers for the same experiment. They get placed in a room where they're also stuffing envelopes for 12, for 12 hours a day for 10 days. But they're told at the beginning of the experiment that you will earn a million dollars through this task. How is your perception of your current circumstances going to be different from your friend's perception? You will probably be cussing under your breath really annoyed, ready to go to sleep, ready to do anything to get out of this room. You might even walk out of the room and quit the experiment at some point. While your friend over here, your friend over here is going to be whistling while he works. He's going to be enjoying himself because he knows that he has an inheritance coming. You see, the promise of a future inheritance changes the way that we behave today. Now he says this weird thing about the inheritance. Because in verse 11, 11, he says that in him we've obtained the inheritance. But then when you look at verse 14, look with me for just a moment. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? How do you, how do you have obtained something, but yet have not acquired possession of it? That's a little confusing that Paul is throwing out there. Because there's this aspect of our inheritance that is already realized, but yet not yet. Not yet fully realized. We're kind of like trust fund kids in this way. If you're a trust fund kid, if, I don't know if you've ever known a trust fund kid, um, but they have a large inheritance coming their way. But they get to live off of it today. They don't have to have a job. They don't have the full inheritance. They know that that promise is coming but today, they get to live off a little of it. And that's how we are as Christians. We're trust fund kids. Or you might want to think about it like an engagement ring. When we come to Christ, we receive an engagement ring. This ring, it changes 
It's like we received an engagement ring. When, when a woman receives an engagement ring, her status as girlfriend is shifted to fiance. She has a new name. Her identity changes. She's completely committed. She gets to enjoy a part of the loving relationship of a marriage, yet she doesn't have it in full. She's still waiting for that day. And that is what it is like for us with our inheritance today. We're waiting on the grave until we receive it in full. Let's continue our text. Verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance. I've only made it through like six words so far. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, I have lived in Boston for 10 years. And before that, I I lived in in, uh, Louisville, Kentucky for four years. So I haven't lived in the deep, deep south for a long time. But I grew up in rural Mississippi. And we have cow pastures in rural Mississippi. And we know that if you walk through a cow pasture, you have to expect to get your boots dirty. And uh, I think that when you walk through the Bible, you have to expect to step in a little bit of predestination. All right? It's going to be in there. If you try to stay away from it, good luck. That's like wearing high heels in a cow pasture. Not a good idea. And uh, I taught on predestination two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go through it all again. Uh, Go back and and listen to that sermon if you want, or we can meet up and talk about it more. But it's just really clear. I just want to make the point right here as we open the Bible and look at it. It's really in there. You can't get away from it. And God really is good. And this didn't seem to be a source of controversy, but it seemed to be a source of comfort and encouragement for these people as they were hearing this. I want to continue on to our next point. How do we receive the inheritance? This is what these next verses are talking about. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So as we look at these two verses, let's talk about how do we receive this glorious inheritance? A few minutes ago, I uh, told you all that it's like we're trust fund kids. Here's the problem with being a trust fund kid. No, everybody's willing to be a trust fund kid. I don't know very many people who are like, ah, no, I don't want to be a trust fund kid. But nobody's particularly proud of the fact that they are a trust fund kid, right? Nobody's like, oh, yeah, I inherited all my wealth. No, every politician wants to claim that they're a self-made man or woman. I earned everything and got to where I am by scraping and clawing. That's what we all, that's the American dream. That's the story that we all want to tell. But the Bible's really clear on one thing. There are no self-made spiritual riches. There are no self-made spiritual riches. You must inherit the riches of God. You cannot earn the riches of God. If you try to earn your own riches, if you try to earn your own spiritual riches, you might feel better than a few people around you. You might feel better than most people around you. It's like owning a yacht. You might be able to get to the point to where you own a little yacht. But then you compare that And then you just have to compare it to God, though. And that's like comparing a little yacht that that a millionaire might own with, like, Elon Musk's yacht over here, okay? It's going to dwarf everything. Once you realize that it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're still going to compel in comparison to the spiritual riches of God. 
you realize that you can't earn all of that. But yet, when you trust in Him, it's freely given to you. You've earned an inheritance from God, the full inheritance. You're always going to fall short on your own moral standing. But if you trust in Him, you're adopted into the family. You receive the whole thing. Isn't it good news, friends? I just want to take this off of you. I just think that it's good news. I think it's a relief. You don't earn your own riches. You don't earn your own standing with God. Whatever you did this week, whatever regrets you have, you don't earn your own standing with God. Our Lord wants to comfort you now. He wants you to know that just like you don't earn your own standing with God, you can't unearn your own standing with God. It's a gift. It's a gift. Let's talk about that gift. How we become spiritually rich. Paul makes it really clear. He says we receive every spiritual blessing when, verse 13, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We have to hear and we have to believe. It's nothing that we earn. We hear it and we believe it. What do we hear and we believe? We hear the good news of our salvation, which is this. Listen carefully. You need to hear this again. Even if you've heard it a million times, hear it again. Here's the message of the good news. And it is so rich and so good. Jesus is the anointed one of God. Jesus is Messiah. While we were over here trying to make our own spiritual riches, trying to earn our approval before God, God sent His one and only Son to live a pure, rich life. Yet that Son chose to die on our behalf so that we might switch places, so that we might receive His riches while He receives the death that we deserve, so that we might have eternity to enjoy with God. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's through faith that God gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We no longer approach God as enemies, but as dear children. Paul says that we have to hear this message. How will people know the joy of the riches of Christ if they've never heard it? Romans 10 How are they going to call upon those they have not heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? May this be fuel for you to share the good news, not just dilly-dally around it. Talk about Jesus. You're not a used car salesman trying to get someone to buy this, this hunker that you would never sell. You're not trying to buy, get them to buy this thing that's going to make their life worse. You're offering them joy, delight, and inheritance. It's not enough to merely hear the message, though. We also have to believe it. I think this is really cool. This passage, Paul talks about belief in this way. He says that you believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the verse before that, um, verse 12, so that, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise and his glory. So he has two groups that he's talking to. He starts off by saying, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. 
He's talking about everyone, uh, myself and you guys. I'm writing this letter. You guys are receiving it. We've obtained an inheritance. And then verse 12, he kind of changes person. He says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ. Paul is talking about himself and his friends who brought the good news to them. And then verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, believed. So now he's talking just to the Ephesians, not about himself. And then he goes back to the we. Uh, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So he goes back to everyone. So one thing that he does there is he says, we who were first to hope in Christ, and then he says, you also, when you heard and you believed. So what, one thing he's doing is he's equating the word hope with the word belief. He's using them synonymously, even though in our culture we don't really use them synonymously. We think about belief in God like we merely have to believe that he exists. And that is a struggle for many of us, and it's something that we have to work through. It's something that we have to talk about. There's good reason to believe that God exists. But honestly, friends, when this was written 2,000 years ago, that was an assumption. Paul didn't say you just need to believe that God exists. Everyone believes that God exists. It's like, which God exists? No, he's saying, I, I think that the hope language might be better, that we hope on him that he is our hope, that we trust in him, that we have faith in him, we depend upon him. Friends, where is your hope? Is it in this life or is it in the one to come? Is it in him or is it in you? Do you still feel like you have to get your act together for God to be happy with you? Are you in, or are you enjoying the, the first fruits of being a trust fund child of God? of having that inheritance to depend upon. If you struggle to believe, friends, let me encourage you to do something. This is going to sound really radical, and I just want you to go with me on this because I think the Bible has it for us. If you struggle to believe, what do you do? If you're just like, I have a really hard time believing. Belief comes from hearing. He says, you heard it and you believed it. Belief comes from hearing. If you struggle with belief, like all of us do, I struggle with belief. I love that song that we were singing earlier that's just like, help me believe. Help me believe in you. We've forgotten this. We've forgotten these truths over and over. If you struggle with belief, show up to church. Don't miss it. It might mean that you rearrange some of your schedule in your life. That's going to sound radical, that you have to sacrifice your own life. But you need to hear this. You need to, you need to be encouraged. There's so many benefits to it. We get to hear it. We get to encourage one another. You build relationships. You encourage one another throughout the week. You can't expect to have an easy time believing when you feel like you are alone in Christ. You need a church body. So thank you for making it a priority to be here, friends. There's all kinds of things that you could be doing this morning, yet you have chosen to be here to hear this word. And may it lead to belief. Open the Bible Listen to it. Hear the word of God. Friends, this is the way. Christ is the way. I know that sounds like a prideful statement. How, how dare you say that you have the way and other people are wrong? But Christ is here explaining that this is the way of everlasting joy. I, it's not prideful at all. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm saying I know I'm not better than anybody else, yet God has made a way. And I trust in that. I have faith in that. I could never earn God's blessings. I would never do enough. I could never do enough. I try all the time 
to make myself feel better by how much I do. Yet God, at the end of the day, has to remind me that I'm a beloved son of his, and my inheritance is not swayed by how much I accomplish. You see, we think about God as like this grandfather, this grandparent, who's a little fickle, who's always threatening to write us out of his will. Oh, if you do that, I'm going to write you out of my will. That is not the character of God at all. That is not the character of the Scripture. That is not the character of this God that we've learned. Because we didn't make it into the will by being a good person. Therefore, we do not stay in the will by being a good person. How do we stay in the will? Verse 13. And you believed in Him. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee, there's a superscription in it. And uh, if you look at the bottom of your page, almost all of your Bibles is going to say or deposit or down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. That means God has invested in you. If I make a down payment on a house, especially a house in Somerville, geez Louise, that is quite, quite the down payment. The Holy Spirit is more than that. And you're not going to default after you've made that type of down payment. You don't get into the will by earning your way into it by being a good person. You don't stay in the will by being a good person. You stay in it because God has made a deposit in you, which is His Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This seal, this Old Testament version of a seal, it's not like you seal an envelope, like it's sticky or something. It's like the, most, uh, most people say that this uh, seal is, is like the seal of a royal embassy who might place it on a, a document saying this is an official document. We approve this document. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's how you keep in it. It's a beautiful truth. He's so good to us. He's so kind to us. This is more than what we could ever deserve. Yet he gives it, gives it to us. And I love how this passage ends. It ends with these simple six words, to the praise of his glory. Why does he do all this? Why does he give us an inheritance? What's in it for him? To the praise of his glory. This, this sentence, verse 3, it starts with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends with this. To the praise of his glory. It's all for God's glory. Everything begins and ends with His glory. Today, church, I pray, I ask God that He might increase your joy in His glory. That He might increase your joy in the inheritance that you will receive and that you have already obtained. Friends, today may be the day for you to stop just hearing the word and start believing the word. There's a step. There's a step that must be made from hearing alone to hearing and believing. May that be you today. You may decide to place your faith in Jesus today. And I would encourage you to do that because it's a glorious joy to do so. If you have already placed your, your faith in Christ, what we're going to do now is receive this, this meal. It's a small meal. It's, it, it just points to our meal that we're going to have in heaven one day, our glorious inheritance, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But for today, we get just to remember it. 
And if you're not a Christian today, we, we encourage you to receive that good news from Jesus. And as a result, uh, you get to receive the communion meal with us next week. I'd love to talk with you about that more. You could join the book group that we're doing. And so the way that we do communion here, you just wipe off your hands in the next couple of minutes. And then as we sing this next song, I'll direct us to receive the, the different parts of the, the element. But as we receive this meal, one thing we're doing this is a physical reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us. And so as we have doubts, we're reminded of His kindness evermore. Of the way He's generously given us His only Son. And we're placing our faith in Him and trusting in Him. So church, let's stand. Let's pray. As we prepare for this meal. And turn and worship God. Our praises start with God. God has blessed us, so we turn and we worship Him because of all that He has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You will help us to understand the obtained nature of our inheritance. Help us to taste and see that You are good. Help us to draw near to You, to run from the evil one, and to draw near to Your wonderful grace. And Father, as we receive this meal, convict us of our sins. If there's any unrepented sin in our hearts and our lives, if we're intentionally running from you, help us to feel such a weight of sin that we will not continue with this meal until we make that right. Because we want you. We want to delight in you with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, thank you for this meal. Remind us again of your gospel.